I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. On this episode, I talked to Kip and Bethany Harms from San Luis Obispo, California. Kip and Bethany have planted many churches and have served in churches all over the U.S. Most recently, they took over a church that hadn't had professional leadership in 15 years, and they helped it grow by 50% since they took over. Listen as they talk about how to overcome setbacks and disappointment in the ministry, how to keep the passion burning for Christ at all ages, what they've learned after planting many new churches, and how to approach, lead, and make grow a church that's experienced division and lack of professional leadership for years. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Please support the Rob Skinner Podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Rob Skinner. That's patreon.com forward slash Rob Skinner. It's been exciting to come back from the World Discipleship Summit and get back into the work of the ministry. I mean, it's it's been crazy busy and fun. Uh, I've been spending every day on campus helping out my campus minister, Kevin Liu. been working with Felipe Marias, Mar- and we've just been having a great time reaching out to people um, and sharing with thousands of people on campus. It was awesome. We had like 15 people at church on Sunday and 15 yeah. college students, which was really so encouraging. I mean, to me and to the entire church to see all these people there. And I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen this semester on campus and, and I'm come back from that World Discipleship Summit determined that, that it's going to be a great exit from COVID and we are going to have a brand new period of, of spiritual growth in our church and in our lives. But I'm also excited because of some new friends I've made with Kip and Bethany Harms. And I've asked them to be on the program here. I've known Kip and Bethany just by name over the years. They've got a great reputation in the kingdom of God. They've been all over the all over the place, truly journeyman ministers. And yet only recently have I gotten to know them because they've moved back to the West Coast. And now they lead the church in San Luis Obispo, which they planted back in the day. And yep. so it's it's really awesome to have them. And it's funny, I, I was recently at the Pacific Southwest Leadership Meeting, and Kip and I sat together, and we were just cutting up and just <laughs> making all sorts of jokes about <laughs> the past and, and our, our personal experiences. I was just <laughs> laughing. I just felt such a connection with a person who understood my experience, and I, I feel like I could understand just a little bit about where he came from, but I just yeah. thought I got to get to know this guy better. Mm-hmm. Um, Pam knew Bethany back in in the Boston days, and maybe yeah. Kip as well, but I wasn't there, and so it's been a real pleasure to get to know them. So, Kip and Bethany, welcome to the program. Thank you. 
great to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you for all that you do. And this podcast that's encouraging people all over the place. It's a pleasure to hey. be here with you. Oh man, it's it's my pleasure to have you. Let's let's start off with this question. How'd you guys become Christians? Mm. You want to go first? Sure. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Bethany. It's so great to be with you, Rob. And as you said, Pam and I go way back to UMass. She was like my senior Bible talk leader, hero in the faith. And so I felt like I learned a lot from Pam back in the early days. So it's great to be with you. Um, I actually grew up in Pennsylvania and moved when I was 19. I was taking a gap year from school and was really searching. I wasn't even sure what I was searching for. I mean, I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I grew up in a very Christian-like home. and But when I moved to Boston, I thought I, w- I took a job as a nanny and I thought, I'm just going to figure out God on my own. And so I was church hopping when I first got there. And remarkably, a lot of the churches are closed in the summer in Boston, which is really interesting. So I would, (laughs) when I was driving my little kids around, I would write down addresses of churches I wanted to go visit. And then they would be closed when I got there on Sunday. And so one day at the kindergarten, one of the girls who had just gotten baptized in the Boston Church of Christ didn't even, I don't even think she told me her name. She just walked up to me and asked me if I would go to church. And I was so blown away because I really had been trying to find my relationship with God. And um, I went to church with her in the Boston Garden and started studying the Bible. And I became Christian. I got baptized in like probably 30 days. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So God had really taken me through my journey to find him at that point. So that just cracks me up. I go, (laughs) the thought of a church like shutting down. (laughs) <laughs> during the summer, so I just go, oh my gosh. Yeah. Just, we'll just put the mission on hold for 90 days. <laughs> Everybody was on vacation, so nobody was going to church. It was so, but I felt like God used that because I think I could have gotten, you know, derailed and really his purpose for me at that point. You know, if some of those places were open, who knows? Right. So, okay. So you were, you were going to UMass Boston at the time? I wasn't. I had actually graduated high school early and finished at a two-year school year early. So I took a gap year. I uh, was really kind of running from a, I would say probably running from a relationship in Pennsylvania, feeling like I needed to get away from that and took a job as a nanny just for fun in Boston. And so when I was met, I wasn't going to school. I wasn't back at the university yet. I later the next year went to UMass and finished my degree. So I was with the singles ministry there in, in the Boston church. Got it. And how old were you when you became a Christian? I was 19. Just turned 19. Okay. All right. Baby. How how about you, Kip? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. So then when I was in eighth grade, my family moved to South Dakota. And so I wrestled in South Dakota and then um, got recruited and ended up going to Phoenix College, which back then was a really... Um, we were second in the nation. So we had a really good wrestling program. And there's a guy on my wrestling team by the name of Brian Hawkins. And he was just pesting me all the time to come to Bible talk. And uh, I was not interested at all. It was that in our second year, it was in, I remember it was in January of our second, my second year in college. And he came around and woke me up. I was sleeping on a wrestling mat outside the wrestling room. I had an hour to before practice and he woke me up and said, Hey, I want you to come to Bible talk. I, and honestly, I didn't have a very good response. I actually um, cussed him out and told him to leave me alone. <laughs> then the next week he did the same thing. And then I ended up going to Bible talk and I told him to get off my back once I'd go. And then 
Right. And then the rest was history. I studied the Bible for <laughs> three months and became a disciple and of June 19th of 1983. So <laughs> it's interesting how many people I've met who went to Bible talk or church simply to relieve the pressure from someone who's been inviting them <laughs> over and over again. They're like, okay, we're going to do this and get this done and they'll, they'll leave. And then they walk in and it changes their lives. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So how'd you guys meet? You're in Phoenix, Bethany, you're, you're in Boston. How'd you guys meet? Well, about two years after I'd become a Christian, there were a bunch of disciples in our church that wanted to go to Boston because Boston was doing things and sending people out. So about 21 of us from that church in Phoenix moved to Boston. And I ended up being part of Bridgewater State Ministry, um, which is ministry that um, Bethany was part of. And so um, maybe you can share how we met. (laughs) (laughs) We have a funny meetup story because I had just come from the singles ministry. So my very first event with at UMass Boston with Bob and Lori Tranchel was a leadership camp out. And I showed up and Kip was the guy who was setting up the tents and making hot chocolate and giving out s'more thing, you know, sticks and marshmallows. And I said to the, the girls that I was with, I said, I'm going to marry that guy. And what? they laughed and they're no. like, You're I said, I am going to marry that guy. Like, and from that point on, like, I actually, we argue about this, but I'm the one who asked him out on our very first date because I just, I don't know. I just felt like it was, I knew for some reason I knew that Kip was supposed to, I was supposed to be with Kip. So. Okay. But see, this is the thing. <laughs> this is where we argue is in that meeting. I remember I was actually at, out in the parking lot, helping a sister out. And then it came back in and I was going to ask her out on a date. And she asked me first. So he says, so, but I did ask first. The truth. I was the truth. I was the bolder one. <laughs> okay, I'll give it to you. <laughs> and we started we started dating, and you know, every back in the days, you know, you would date once a month or twice a month, and then um, there was a pattern. Yeah, then we got <laughs> right, right. Got engaged, got married, so that's how we met. Yeah. Right. This ministry. Okay, so from the time you guys met to when you got married, how long was it? Just under a year, I think. No, it was probably a. Oh yeah, you're just over a year. I actually, we met know. in. Yeah, we started dating in yeah. March, and then the following year in May. So we knew each other for about a year and a half. That's yeah, awesome. About a year and a half. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, yeah. Kip, let me ask you this: Is Kip your real name, or is that a nickname? Yes. It's my real name, Kip Lee Harms. So, um, my parents were wa- watching a western, an old western on TV, and there was a guy named Kip, and said, "Well." What do you think about that name? <laughs> and the funny thing is, is all my siblings, it's Jeff, Denise, and Greg. And then there's the outlier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because in the Kips that I've known, that was a nickname, you know, like, right. Uh, like Skip or something like that. And so, okay, well, that's good. Good to know that. So I'm you, authentic. <laughs> so what year did you guys move? Did you move Kip to Boston? What, what year are we talking? 1985. Okay. And was that the back with like um, Ken Burford? I mean, who was, who's went with you in that group to Boston? Oh, well, I mean, there, I don't even know how many of those people are around now, but okay. uh, it was about 21 of us. You probably wouldn't know them. Okay. 
Yeah, you wouldn't know any of them by name. Ken Burford actually led my first Bible talk I went to at wow. Phoenix College. I mean, that's it's crazy, you know, because he was the intern back in the back in the day, you know? and now he's the intern up in Flagstaff. Flagstaff I know. No, he's retired. Oh my gosh, he's, he's such a faithful guy. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it's just so cool. I mean, I think about those days, and that was not uncommon for people to just get excited and just go, "Hey, I'm going to go to Boston. I'm going to get." More training. Yep. What was going through your mind when you were leaving Phoenix? I mean, what motivated you? Well, um, I had a dream that I wanted to go in the ministry, um, but I also wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And I felt so purposed in that direction and willing. I mean, my family, were, they were not happy about my decision. They all live in Phoenix, you know, right. so they weren't happy about my decision at all. But I felt compelled, like, okay, if I'm going to make a difference, and quite frankly, the church that we're in wasn't exactly a, a great discipling church. There was really a pocket of us that were disciples, and the rest of it was more of a traditional church. And so, um, so moving there was seemed to be a very uh, specific calling at that time. Mm, that's awesome. Hard to explain. Yeah. No, that's that's really um, noble that you kind of went out on faith and de decided to do that. Now, since that time, you guys got married, what, 88 or something like that? 89. 89. You've been all over the place. I mean, if there's one right. thing that that defines you guys, you guys have literally been everywhere to Timbuktu and back. Can you give, <laughs> give us an overview of where you've been in your ministry career, how you got into the ministry and where you've been since then? Um, it's really a cool story about how we got in the ministry. Uh, Brock and Ann Roby were leading our campus, UMass Boston at that time, and Bridgewater State was part of that. And we heard they were going on a mission team, but they weren't able to tell us where. <laughs> and so we were dating at the time, and uh, we said, okay, wherever they're going, we're going. I told them, I said, I don't care if I have to drive a dump truck. I'm going to go wherever you guys go. I mean, Brock and Ann Roby are amazing, amazing people. Yeah. And uh, they really treated us with dignity and respect. I mean, we just love them immensely. And so then as it progressed, um, they told us after a Friday night Devo in Boston, Massachusetts, we were down at the subway and they said, oh, well, we can tell you where we're going and we want you to come with us. We're going to be going to Hawaii. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Bethany was thinking, do you think they're going to send us to Russia or something? And we had no idea where we're going. And then they said, well, and there's an added bonus. We're going to have you guys as interns. Oh and it was just gosh. such an honor. And mm -hmm. I remember just being so overwhelmed with gratitude yeah. and uh, excitement, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. So it gives me goosebumps just recalling <laughs> it and everything. So I mean, do what you want to add anything? Well, I think in those days, you know, Boston was sending out so many church plantings and right. we had hit the third world and India and, you know, Russia and these different places. So we just assumed we were going to a third world country and we were trying to figure out what our one suitcase was. And there was a <laughs> challenge that right. had been, you know, right. set forth. So what can we shove in one suitcase and go with Brock and Ann? And so it really was so shocking when they said they were going to Hawaii because we told our parents we were going on a mission team and they're like, where are you going? I don't know, maybe China, maybe, you know, maybe Russia. And they were just so floored when we told them we were going to Hawaii. And that we didn't know where we were going. <laughs> yeah, that we were yeah, kind of crazy faith, you know, and crazy kids. Yeah. So. 
Wow. Okay. So, so you went to, that was your, like your first missionary posting. Right. 1989 when that, that yes. correct. Okay. There we was got married and went on our honeymoon to Hawaii and stayed there. Oh, what a great place to honeymoon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, you honeymoon there. There were a lot of churches planted that year. I think Seattle was planted that year. In Los you, Angeles. In Los Angeles. Okay. A lot of, a lot of explosive churches that just took off. Yeah. Uh, Joe Garman planted the church in, in um, Seattle. And then I think Tom Brown was LA, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're, our team, our our church planning was nicknamed the Lean, Green, and Not So Mean Mission Team. <laughs> <laughs> there were five churches planted the same Sunday that we were being sent off, and we were the last kind of introduced as sort of the nobody team. Yeah. Nobody really knew any of us, and we were just kind of an experiment, I think, <laughs> being sent to Hawaii. <laughs> okay, so th- who were the other, where were the other two teams? I think, was it Miami that was planted? Yeah, I'm, I and can't I think there was a foreign planting, maybe somewhere in South America. I can't remember, but yeah, I mean, there were you, five that Sunday. Yeah. though. can you imagine five plantings going off on a Sunday? It just yeah, right. That gives me goosebumps. I just go, that yeah. is so exciting, man! I look forward to that day again to see that happen. That's so yeah. thrilling. Okay, yeah. so you went there, and then just if you could just give us like a broad overview of where you've been, like all the different places you've been. And then we'll probably go back and just talk about some of these places specifically. Okay. Well, we were interns in Honolulu. Then we planted the church in um, Hilo, Hawaii. And then in 93, we were asked to come to Santa Barbara. So we were in Santa Barbara. I don't know why I remember these things. And then in, in 98, we were asked to plant the church here in the Central Coast in San Luis Obispo. And then in 2000, we were asked to go to the East region, now uh, Lighthouse. In, in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. And so we were there. And then in 2003, when everything went awry, you know, we made the decision to come out of the ministry. It was just too much chaos. And it really, our faith was struggling at that point. And so Bethany's dad owns a Christmas tree farm. And so he gave us 15 acres and we built our dream home on the top of a mountain. Oh my gosh. And, uh, we were wounded and, uh, and I'll talk about Al Baird, but he is this guy who's always been this constant in our life. Mm. I'll share about that a little bit more later, but, but we were wounded. And then over about two years after licking our wounds, Douglas Jacoby does, does this lesson at the church we were at and, and it's called anchored for life. And I'm like, this, I'm not anchored. The church is not anchored because our church wasn't really connected to cyber, in, in relationships. And I said, we got to do something. So we started speaking up. And then what ended up happening is we were asked to leave the mission team planting to Penn or to State College, Pennsylvania, where Penn State is. And so we said, yes. And some amazing things happened in that process. I, I'm, the, the stories. Yeah, go ahead. I'd like to share about that because Kip really missed the ministry when we went out for those four years. And I, maybe not so much, I didn't miss it as much because I felt at peace. I was raising my young children. We were on my family's farm. Like it was just really peaceful and wonderful. And, um, but Kip would ask me occasionally, do you ever think that maybe we'll go back in the ministry? And I would laugh and go, Oh no, this, no, no, this is good. You're making good money. I'm getting to raise the kid. Like we're happy. And, um, but I realized I hadn't really like beseeched God on that. Like I hadn't really gone to God about, should we go back? And so I had this prayer time one day and I just 
prayed that if it was God's will, I really didn't want to move my kids again. I felt like we had moved them a lot and I didn't think that was really good for them, you know, through the different moves we made previously. And so Kip called me at where he had gone, driven to uh, Philadelphia one day just to get with Walter Evans and have lunch with him. And he had worn a shirt that said Penn State on it. And when he sat down with Walter, Walter's like, I can't believe you have that shirt on. You know, I wanted to meet with you today to ask you guys if you would plant, replant the church at Penn State. And Kip laughed. He's like, I'd love to, but there's no way Bethany's going to want to do this. And thank you for the offer. And he calls me on his way home. And I, it was literally within a week of that prayer, they had that lunch. And I said to Kip, no, I just started to cry. I was at work. I'm like, no, you have to take that job. Like, this is the prayer. I didn't tell you about it because I didn't want you going looking for jobs. (laughs) But that God had like answered that prayer immediately after you know, after okay, so it. what was the, what was the prayer again? What did you pray specifically? I that if God wanted us back in the ministry, that He would have someone invite us back in, that we wouldn't be out interviewing because I wasn't convinced that we were supposed to go back mm. into the ministry, and I really needed God to put a stamp of approval on that before I moved my children again. I just like my heart just couldn't handle it if I didn't know it wasn't God's will, and so when God answered that prayer so quickly. I couldn't believe it. I wow. just was like so convicted, like, okay, we have to go back. Yeah. So you're living in your dream home there in Pennsylvania. Where in Pennsylvania? It's outside of Harrisburg, about 30 minutes. Near Lebanon? That's the only place uh, I the really... The other direction, towards um, Carlisle. Carlisle? Um, Near Carlisle. Shermansdale was the actual town, but um, all of my family lived there. My sister and her family, my brother and his family, my parents. We would have barbecues and swim parties. And oh my like, gosh. it was just a little bit of utopia for about four years of being... It was four four houses on a 45 acre plot with Christmas trees, you know, (laughs) it must have been amazing during the winter time. It was was awesome for the kids, the cousins and stuff. It was amazing, you know, four years to be honest with you. It was really good. So awesome. Okay. So you decide now it's a replant or a plant. Was there something going on there? There there was, there were probably about four disciples there. Okay. and And so it was a replant. And so, um, so we rebooted it. And so that was 2007 that we went there. Okay. So we were there for four years and, um, then an opportunity, Doug Wenz, actually, we were in Miami and he asked us if we would be interested in going to Salt Lake city, Utah. And so I had no idea what Utah was all about. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. And so. We went and interviewed, we were interviewing in another larger church, and then we went to Utah and interviewed there, and we weren't, we get there, and at night, we were going up to a devotional, and all the lights of the temples are lit up, and we're like, wow, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're like, <laughs> ominous. We were like, both of us were like, um, this is, wow, it was different. And so, we, we, our daughter was a disciple, she was a sophomore in high school, and for the first time we asked her, we we had an opportunity to go to this one church or to Salt Lake City. One church would have elders, a large church, large teen ministry, campus ministry, and the other church has none of that. Mm-hmm. 25 no disciples, teens. no teens, no campus. Although we just sent someone as a there, someone was just sent as an intern there. And so our daughter prayed about it and she said, Well, who everyone's going to want to take that job in the big church. Who's going to want to go to Salt Lake city. So it was, it was kind of a fleece we put out there and she said, we should go to Salt Lake city. Not that she had the final say, but right, we, right. we were very influenced by it, obviously. Right. So, and so we ended up going to Salt Lake city and 
saw God do some amazing miracles there. We were from 25 disciples. We were self-supporting within a year. Wow. And God just blessed. I mean, I don't know, feel very blessed there. And so then, so that was, and then in 2011, you know, um, our son had uh, moved back to California. He isn't a disciple and, and, um, we, we really wanted to be closer to him. And so we ended up taking a position with, uh, Mike rock in the, in an empire in Riverside. And we were there for a year when all of a sudden we were asked by people from here, if we would consider coming back to the central coast and to be honest with you, this is one of the places we dreamed about coming back because of the people, the culture, the climate, um, but just felt unfinished business here too. It was a place that had a kin, a real connection with me. And so after a little bit of time working out, you know, we moved here um, in 2017, 18, 18. yeah. January of 2018. Okay. Wait a second. You, you were in, Let's see, you're in Utah from 2007 to 2011. 2011, you moved to Inland Empire. I'm sorry, 2011 to 2016, we were in Utah. Five years in Utah. I may have. And before that, we were at State College. State College from 2007. Okay, so okay, so you were in Utah until 2016? Correct. Okay, and then yeah. you're Inland Empire. And then when did you move to, to San Luis Obispo? January of 2018. Okay. And you've been there for four years. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's just crazy. All <laughs> the different places you, yeah. you guys have been, I want to talk to you more about that. Okay. So you've been there, you know, for, for people that are not familiar with, with the geography, can you just explain exactly where that is? I mean, most people know generally where LA is, but where's San Luis Obispo? We're three and a half hours north of Los Angeles and three and a half hours south of San Francisco. They're downtown districts. So we're right smack dab in, dab in the middle. Okay. And how far are you from the coast? Our house right now is 1.2 miles. Oh, my God. Now, do you surf, Kip? No, no, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm land-based. <laughs> it's really cool. Last night we had our, we were having family group uh, devotionals, our midweeks out at the beach with meals and everything. And uh, so we were out at the beach with the bonfire last night and then we had a baptism. It was just amazing. It was a great, great midweek. Oh so. my gosh. That is yeah. so, I, I got to come visit you. you uh, have yes. to. Absolutely. I definitely want to. Okay. That's a lot of places you guys have been to. <laughs> you guys have been from Hawaii to Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, you know, Pennsylvania, uh, you know, I mean, Salt Lake City. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. And then down to Inland Empire, the desert in, in Southern California. And now, now you're back in San Luis Obispo. Why, why so many moves? What, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of moving, even for a minister in the, in the you know, family of churches that we're in. That's, that's, you, you, you guys probably have a record there. Well, we have actually a lot more moves that are inside each of those ministries, which is kind of great. <laughs> and one of the things that we had as young ministers, we were interns and then young ministers, is we had the always say yes attitude. Mm -hmm. And so even in Hawaii, we moved all over Hawaii because there was a need and they said, hey, would you guys move? And our answer was always yes. Um, 
I don't think we always use the greatest discernment in some of those decisions. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So when we came out of the ministry after 14 years, we'd moved 15 times. Wow. And so all but one of those moves was when we were asked to move somewhere else. And so I think that, so our hearts were always that. And then when we went back in the ministry, we come back in a different arena and a different era. And when you're asked, now we can actually make decisions and what's best for us and our family. And to be honest with you, the, the ways we made decisions was we prayed and we talked with each other, but I got a lot of advice and Al Baird was my go-to guy all the time, you know? And so he did our wedding and on our anniversary every year, he calls us just to encourage us. Wow. He called us from South, South Africa. He's called us from Cairo on our anniversary. And so he's been that constant in our life, but he's mm. the guy I call first thing on my, what do you think Al? you know? Right. And so just having that heart of saying yes is always that I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. Wow. That's, I, I, I mean, I just got to give a little shout out to Albert. That guy is really an amazing oh, guy. What a servant. I mean, just, he's helped me so much here in Tucson and uh, we've just gotten to know each other over the past couple of years, really. And it's been awesome. So that's great. You have someone like that in your life. Yeah. What, what's your perspective on it, Bethany? Yeah, I think, you know, we obviously went into the ministry, young Mary, no children, and we were super willing. And I think we were good at being a right-hand couple a lot. So we were shifted around to be able to start, you know, start the military ministry, start the campus ministry, start the team ministry, which we had a lot of flexibility. I think when we got to LA, um, some of those moves were very painful. Um, moving from Hawaii to Santa Barbara was very painful. I mean, sure. I remember being at the airport with the whole, you know, in those days, the whole church could come to the airport. There was not much security and people just crying and giving us lays. Like we never, hmm. probably 90% of our moves, we never wanted to make. Like right. we were loving where we were. We loved our church. We loved our people. And hmm. we were, you know, in those days you were just moved, you know, if you wanted right. to stay in the ministry and they needed you somewhere, there wasn't a whole lot of options. Right. So you're, you're, you're just transferred. I mean, it's like working for IBM or something. It's like, Hey, right. we're, we're shifting you over here. Yeah, yeah. We need you here. We need you there. And right. so I think the last couple moves before we went out of the ministry were super painful for me, for my children. And I felt like by Oh three, you know, I was just kind of worn out by that because I feel like we really did give our hearts where we were. And then having to leave was, was challenging, especially for me and the kids, I think so. Yeah. And for Kip, but. Okay. Um, but since 2003, it's a different era. Yeah. You have a lot more autonomy yeah. about where you go. You still have made quite a few moves. Any advice that you'd give, like what, what goes through your mind when you're trying to make a move? Cause I think people, you know, whether they're younger, they're going, do I, you know, they're getting recruited for a campus ministry position or, Hey, this, this, there's a lot of openings. For, for staffing all over the place. Yeah. And it, it's can it can be really tough to know right. what to do. Any advice that you give on making a good decision when there's uncertainty? I would like to believe we're making better decisions in this stage <laughs> of our life, you know. We're yeah. but I, I think a, a number of things is I want to be used by the ministry. I need to God needs to make it clear that where I go. I can really have a great effect and great impact. And so allowing that to be a big part. And honestly, as I said before, 
we've never made a big decision in our family without me calling Albert and a couple other brothers who are confidants with us. And so I think making sure you're getting advice on it too, because they know you, you know, people that know you will know if that's a good fit or not. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think having that right heart to say yes, though, and go somewhere that you may not want to go, having that heart is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's a surrender that you get. So I think also looking at your skill set, like, you know, will my skill sets be used and valued in this place? Um, Do I have a connection with the discipling relationship that I'm going to have, I think is a big thing in our day too. Like, is there, can I see a good connection? Are we going to, can we be a good team? Um, And then I think, you know, there's big church, small church, you know, what can I learn being at a small church? I think recognizing the value in being in a small church and it being more like family or you know, feeling like, oh, my need is to be in a bigger church and serve in this bigger platform. So I think some of it is as, you know, the older generation, I think even helping the younger generation see where they may fit better, you know, because it takes a lot of endurance. I've noticed with our interns and when you're challenged, people that come, when they come to a small church, can they handle that loneliness, you know, without having a big crowd of people or are they, you know, maybe not best suited for that. And so I think there's a you know, kind of a personality and character strength and weakness set to right. evaluate. Right. Yeah. You guys have, you guys have, I mean, it's like you're moving every four years or something like that. You're going into different situations. Do you have a philosophy? Do you have an approach when you walk into a new situation? Like, okay, this is, we pull out this toolkit. This is what we're focused here for the first 90 days or first year. Like what do you, what do you try to do? Well, uh, our biggest philosophy is we want to lead through consensus that we don't make the final decision on big decisions in our church that are, we have a a group of people, leadership group that is around us and we collaborate and work together as a team. And our constant goal is to build family like this. Some, this summer, we took a break from meeting just men and women and we met all together as the whole entire church and Beth and I prepared food. So we said, just come with your family and eat. And it's just family. We don't even have, we didn't even have lessons, but the kids played kickball and, you know, so everything is about building family. So if you build family with the consensus group, it gives you the platform to build family with the church. And so creating memories, doing fun activities, things that people look back, wow, that was amazing hanging out with the family. And so that's kind of our general philosophy. Anything to add, babe? Yeah, I think that's how we kind of approach building the church. It's really what Brock and Ann trained us in. It's kind of all we know that we really love and enjoy is coming and build a family, plan things that will be great memories for the church. Um, I think a personal thing that I try to do when we've moved um, is pick five women and put them on a group chat. Like, and I'm just going to be open. Like this is kind of my vulnerability group. Like, okay, just wanting to get known really fast strengths and weaknesses. And I think that can promote, you know, mutual vulnerability, but I know if I get to a place and I don't just immediately give my heart, it gets harder and harder the longer I'm there. And so I think that's been something we've tried to do right away is, you know, find our core group that we can trust here. Okay. So you try to find a core group, but what if the church is troubled? And that, I mean, in my experience, they usually are. I mean, there's, there's, there's distrust, there's hurt from the past, there's um, people have taken offense at different situations, there's anger, all sorts of stuff in a, in a situation. How do you build a core group when, 
you know, the situ the church can be, you know, in a very difficult situation. Well, I think coming here, you know, we came to a church that had had two church splits already. And so, um, we were bringing a group back together that weren't together before we got here. And so they were willing to come back, but there was definitely trust issues and unresolved conflict. And then we were bringing in Santa Barbara generously gave us their most Northern family group to be part of this group to kick it off. And so we had really three diverse groups and two of which had split from each other. And so I think it has been amazing to see what God has done, but we definitely understand that concept of, okay, we got all kinds of stuff going on and feelings. And so we just, you know, asked a few people, could you lead this group, lead that group? And we pulled them all together and we've just been, we meet once a month, we go out to dinner, we go to a winery, we have a meeting, you know, we cook for them, but it has just been time. I think time and trust that we've had to work on, on building, but we've had to bring that, we've had to be able to rely on them to come together. And we had to start with the core group first to deal with relational problems that we had. Um, And so we started there and then we just, you know, kept taking one piece at a time throughout the church to get things resolved. It it wasn't easy here was probably the most challenging and still is not the easiest place because there's still some consternation, even in our consensus group. But the real core is if we treat everyone with dignity and respect and that they have a seat at the table, then they get buy-in. And that's the big part that I think has helped overcome some of that. The first year that we got here, there was someone, there were, there was a couple on our core group that didn't play well with others. And we ended up having to, (laughs) we ended up having to ask them to come out of the core group and ended up, they ended up leaving the church. Um, But that is the challenge when you come into a church that's been separated from being influenced by other churches for 15, 20 years. Um, Even uh, Salt Lake city was a little different. They were very disconnected too, but the core group there, everybody wanted to be connected. And so that's an easy turnkey type situation. Whereas here there's still an element of complexity to it, but helping people feel respected is a really big thing that we try to do. And I'm fortunate I'm married to the right woman that helps me with that. So I'm very blessed. Well, you guys strike me as so down to earth. I mean, just, just really salt of the earth, just, you know, good, good people just in general. But I mean, that would be such a tricky situation. Now I remember when this situation was happening, I can't remember. I think I was talking to, to Ron Hammer or something. I think he knew you and what was going on there. And I, I just remember thinking, this is a great situation because you guys planted the church in San Luis Obispo. So in that, I mean, that must have helped you yes. having yes. been kind of the the parents of the original church. I mean, yeah. that must give you some benefit. How has that worked out? You want to go? I think that that did help. Um, I think it opened the hearts of the church here to hire somebody back because the church hadn't had a full-time minister since 2003. Wow. And so I think because we had history here and people, you know, a small group of people that were still here from those days knew us, I think that really did open a door for trust, but it was still, you know, there was still um, a lot of skepticism and are we going to go back to legalistic times and all of that and having to show a new culture and grace. I think there's been a lot of grace given and received in the church up to this point, but that definitely opened the door for us to come. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what's it's, go ahead, Kip. It's tricky because when you're dealing with people who have hurts and maybe have serious trust issues, even with people that knew us, they still have trust issues, not always specifically with us, but just as with the church. And so trying to help them feel heard and yet call them higher is a, is tricky business. <laughs> right, right. So how can you explain what was the situation you walked into when you returned to San Luis Obispo? How many people are we talking about? Um, what, what did it look like to you? Well, there were 42 disciples. There are about 17 from Santa Maria, which is about 45 minutes south. And then we had about 12 disciples that were north and everyone else is in the San Luis Obispo five cities area. Um, there was tension still within the leadership group. So we came into a situation where there was unresolved conflict and we worked hard to try to resolve that. And so, but trust is a hard thing to build and it, it's, we're still working on it, I think. And I, um, I don't think that'll ever change because when there's scarring, there's going to be a result from that. And right. Um, so it's interesting though, when you talk to some of the members, like one of the members of the church said to me the other day, it's just been so seamless, you know, bringing everybody <laughs> back together. And I'm like, I'm glad you see it that way. <laughs> it hasn't felt very, always seamless to me, but I think that from probably the outside perspective, those who weren't involved in some of the controversy were just so happy to be back together and so happy to be back connected to the sister churches. And so but we're spread out. We're like an hour and a half from end to end where, you know, up and down the coast. And so it's, yeah. you know, that creates its own issues, right. When you're not all just living in the same, you know, 30 minute area. So um, we've had to be super creative with that piece too. Okay. So it's, you started with 42. I mean, just getting them back together to worship together, that's an achievement in itself. How yeah. do you, I mean, have you been able to baptize? Can you, have, have, has the church grown at all? How do you, how, how does a person walk in? Cause there's a lot of situations like this yeah. where you, you, you've been able to patch it up, which is a miracle in itself, but how do you grow it? Well, I think we were blessed the first year. We had quite a few baptisms, and we right now our membership is 64. Wow. Um, so I think we've seen some great things happen. Um, and we've also had the benefit of a, a few key people have moved into the area, too, so that helped us. We have a con one of the families in our consensus group. They moved in from Santa Cruz to actually run Hammer's ministry, and so they're very supportive, and they want to see great things happen. So, um, you know, it – it hasn't grown like we've experienced in other church plantings, but it's growing in its forward direction. I mean, we had a baptism last night with everybody out at the beach with a bonfire at the midweek. And so that was encouraging for the church. So um, I think we're now turning. Oh, and I think the big part is we're at a place financially. So we have a full-time campus intern and a part-time man and then a part-time female intern for campus just came here last week okay how do so, you how do you do that you, you only have 62 64 people <laughs> and you guys are full-time and then you've got a full-time and a part-time yeah god is so amazing because we have some out some outlying givers who give to this church who don't even go to this church or don't live in this city and so we have a you know a family that kind of single-handedly supports our interns yeah. And so just because of their generous gifts. So God has just 
given us from the outside. It's really the reason we can do this. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, there's money coming in from places we don't know. And so when I look at the contribution and see what's happening, I'm like, well, we're, we're just blessed beyond. So yeah. some well, of this is relationships we built through the years and they said, Hey, we believe in what you're doing. We're going to give to your ministry. Yeah. And wow. so I'm not going to say no. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Were were those people you knew or were they just interested in the area and they just thought, hey, we want to support the work or was it was it requested by you or was it unsolicited? It was unsolicited and it's two couples that we at time at a time put them both in the ministry and they're not currently in the ministry now, two of the couples. And then we've had other people who's like uh, we have a college student whose daughter's here and this particular individual said, Hey, I want to give to your work there because I believe in what you're doing. And so, so we've had, we, and we have a couple others that give not as much as some of those givers. So it, it really puts us in a amazing place financially and to be able to be 64 and have interns is. Oh, you, very you need it. You lucky. need it. Okay. So San Luis Obispo, that's, there's a, a really great school there at San Luis Obispo. How big is it? Can you describe the, the college? Cal Poly is 36,000 students. Um, it's a engineering school. It's very difficult to get in. We know of four kids that were trying to get in. None of them got in for this fall semester uh, quarter. Um, so it's a great school. Ronnie um, Carillos, we hired last year and he had three baptisms on campus for the first year. Wow. And so now I think with our Cuesta College, it's a junior college, I think we have a combined total of 12 kids. That's and great. So we're in we're moving forward in that regard. But it's difficult to even people that want to move here, it's such a good school. It's right. hard for kids to get into. And and you know that Kip, that's awesome because one of the things I talked about at the World Discipleship Summit in my class is every church getting to be at least 20% of your your ministry being college students. And so with 12, you've got 20% right there. That yeah. must make a difference in the spirit that, of your church. That's one of our philosophies too, is wherever we go, we got to get the campus going because that's the lifeblood of the church. And right. if you can't get the, if you're in a place where you don't have a campus, it's, it's going to hinder you a little bit because seeing young people become Christians is it's the future. Yeah. And so I, I, I pray for our future and I pray for this campus to really build something that's going to be uh, able to affect people for years and years to come. That is so cool. What do you say to people that say, oh, why are you so focused on on college students? They just move away. They just leave leave town and go different places. How do you handle that criticism that comes up from older disciples? I think it's it's part of the beauty of the kingdom, right? We can convert them and yes, they may move away, but we're setting their whole course of their life, like in the right direction and God can use them all over. And so some of that, you know, being a giving ministry and being able to go like, even at Penn state, the kids couldn't get jobs there unless you worked for Penn state, there was nothing really other nothing. than maybe one engineering firm that you could work really work at in that area. So most of what we converted would later graduate and move away. Those kids I mean, they're so significant in the ways they can help other churches. And so sure about Kelly. Yeah. When we were at Penn state, we converted this uh, swimmer. She was captain of the swim team at Penn state. Wow. And she studied for a year. She came over to our house every Thursday. I made her dinner and brownies. Brownies. And, and she, you know, she's a faithful disciple in the Philly church. She just got engaged this week. Like I think, you know, and yeah, she had to move away. She couldn't work there. She couldn't find a, you know, her profession there, but boy, what she's going to do with her future. Yep. 
So I think it's having a bigger picture than just a, just our church, you know, that we are a brotherhood and letting our kids, you know, make choices and move away and have an impact is really great. We've discussed this too. Even for us, we would be willing to take a pay cut in order to have a campus ministry because Mm -hmm. that's the future. Most of our evangelists who are in our churches now came from campus ministry. That's the future of our ministry. And so I would, to me, I think, going hard for the campus is it's, it's not an option. Right. It's something we need to seek hard. Right. I mean, we're in Tucson. We're definitely going for it. We started this year with three returning students after having a ministry of up to like 23. And wow. so, you know, it's like, we're starting over here. And so we yeah. have three kids who came in as freshmen, which we're super grateful for great people. And I mean, we're just determined. We're just going after it because we 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 believe that. And it's so funny. Like I, I mentioned at the beginning, we had uh, our first service. Kevin did a great job the first couple of weeks, just reaching out. We've been all you know, just trying to help. And having all those kids at church on Sunday, you know, these first timers visiting, like fifteen, it was like it wow. energized the church. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it was just, and it energized me. I mean, from young to old, I gave people a little heads up. There's going to be some college students, some new faces. Please greet them. But people were talking about it. I mean, just brings life to a mature ministry for sure. So that's that's awesome you're doing that. When when we moved here in our ministry, there was only one person under 30 in the church here (laughs) of the the 42 that we started with. Right. And so, I mean, I called it the gray hair ministry. <laughs> I, I was at a midweek and I said, guys, look around. Some of you don't have hair and all of us have gray hair. <laughs> we got to change this, you know? <laughs> okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's happening across our family of churches. We're just, you know, getting into middle age and, and late middle age. So yeah. um, one of the things that, stands out to me about you guys and in our private talks is you guys have gone through some major challenges, big time, big, big time challenges. How do you keep your faith and your idealism burning brightly? I mean, that's what stands out to me about you guys. Like you guys have had challenges and in any veteran of our family of churches who's gone through it, I think ministry in general is, is super, super tough. Yeah. But you guys are still fired up. You're still happy. You're still idealistic and faithful. How'd you preserve that? Like what, what kind of mental tricks are you guys doing to, <laughs> to kind of keep that going? What You got some Jedi mind tricks or something? What's uh, Because I, I've, unfortunately, I've seen a number of people that just, they get hurt and they just get angry and they, they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know this may sound like a bumper sticker, but the Bible has not changed in all the years I've been a Christian. So I keep leaning on that. And, you know, we were having the joke at uh, the Southwest Evangelist. Did they burn out or did they sin? And we've seen that in a lot of people. And so one, you got to get your faith back to the word because people are flawed and everyone I'm flawed. And so if people expect perfection from me, they will be sadly disappointed. But I think one of the crucial things for us, and I don't know if we didn't orchestrate it, God did, but we've had vital people in our life through the turning points of our life 
helped us stay connected to the church and also to God. And I, I mentioned earlier that Al would call us. He hunted me down because he couldn't find my number when we moved to Pennsylvania. We were so damaged at that time. And I remember him calling and saying, bro, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Mm. And because we changed our numbers, everything. And he's just appealing to me, bro, how are you doing? And trying to help me and uh, change my life at wow. that time because we're so wounded. And so having people that are going to chase after you, I know Jesus didn't chase after the rich young ruler, but I wasn't rich and I wasn't a ruler. <laughs> so, <laughs> but someone like Al Baird, and then we've had crucial turning points in our life where there have been men and women who have encouraged us. And we always want to be connected with other people. And it's a big part of our ministry. Ron and Cheryl Hammer have been just a joy um, building a friendship with them right. over the last four years. Right. And so I think staying connected, obviously, to the word, but staying connected to people because that bitterness is, yeah, ooh, it it's a prickly pear that can just torture you if you're if you don't get resolved. Right. You have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we've definitely gone through our fair share of challenges, and I think. Um, you know, res resiliency and suffering are, you know, we have, we will suffer in this lifetime. Like the Bible promises us that, but I think in the suffering, I just remember Gloria Baird always saying, don't waste it. Don't waste your suffering. What are you supposed to learn mm -hmm. to keep yourself from circling back in this wheel again? Because sometimes our suffering is at our own hands and our own lack of spirituality. And then sometimes it's at the hands of others and, you know, life, but in that don't waste your suffering, I felt like, you know, being able to learn through it and take resp personal responsibility for what we could own in a suffering situation and and then being able to forgive. I mean, there's just a lot of instances in our life where we've had to forgive without right. the apology, without the making up part, without right. the, you know, what you hope would come from another direction, but forgiving because Jesus forgave us. And I think that piece of bitterness, we've realized, wow, old age, the sin of bitterness is the one that will take you out. Oh not, yeah, totally. You know, not impurities usually and not, you know, drunkenness or those things, but bitterness because we feel entitled to have been treated a certain way. And right. I think being able to trust God in those situations that we don't always get a resolve that we hope for, but we also don't want to hang on to bitterness that will grow up and defile many, Right. you know, and you know, there was a time when we came out of the ministry, I told Kip, I don't even know if I can read my Bible. Like, mm. I mean, our phone stopped ringing. We were like alone mm -hmm. and Al, Al and Gloria call, they would call and call and call. But Kip just said, what in the Bible do you really love? What will really help you? And I said, the Psalms, he goes, read the Psalms. Just read the Psalms. So I appreciated his faith. And I read the Psalms for an entire year. I couldn't get out of the Psalms. Like I just, but it healed my heart, you know, and I think like Kip said, leaning into people and letting people know where you're at. I think we've had to learn that over the years. You know, yeah. Larry and Lori Head have been just a great support and comfort for us. Ron yeah. and Connie, Connie Cosberg. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the Hammers, the Bairds, just different people. And the Robies, <laughs> you can lean into them anytime. Yeah. They, and they give such sage advice. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I'll hear their <laughs> advice and I'll go, Oh, I, I think I have a bad heart. <laughs> we, were the, we were at the World Discipleship Conference, and, and Brock said, can I sit down with you guys for a minute? And he sat down with us for five minutes and, oh. and said something to Kip that was life-changing in you know, some of the struggles that are currently going on. And it was life-changing, a five-minute conversation. you know. And I think yeah. just having that openness to hear what others have to say, to I speak know. truth into us when we're 
you know, wrestling through something and can't quite land. It's yeah. funny you mentioned that about Brock. My, my mom died this last summer, this uh, a month or two ago. And I, I saw Brock in San Francisco and he just pulled me aside and just shared some things with me that really helped me. I mean, mm-hmm. it was such a painful time and, yeah. um, but I didn't ask him for the help. He just on his own, just say, Hey, here's some thoughts. And yeah. it, it just came at the right time with the right wow. words. It wasn't a long, it wasn't a long sermon or anything, just, just a few minutes. And it really helped me at an at a <laughs> incredibly yeah. painful time. So having those people in your life makes such a huge difference. Yeah. I love Brock yeah. and Ann. We've been blessed to have a lot of people that we can lean into in those troubling times. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you guys were talking to someone who maybe used to be in the ministry or used to be in leadership and, and yet have become really jaded, angry, upset about the bad old days or, or whatever it might be, or a particular relationship that went sour or something that really offended them. And now they're on the sideline, they're on the bench. What, what would you tell them? <laughs> uh, I think what comes to my mind, first of all, even with Brock and Ann, like we were always encouraging them to go back into the ministry because we, we saw their gifts. I mean, their gifts are yeah. amazing. And, but I think for people to be able to find a safe person to talk through, first of all, all those unresolved, you know, issues that are just making them feel angry, making them feel like they, they can't move past it. I think that has really helped us. It's that mental health part, like taking care of your mental health and being able to talk to trusted disciples or, you know, especially I think people that we respect in the ministry to be able to, to be heard on those issues, but then to be able to fig- to see that, you know, God still has a vision for them. You know, I felt like when we came back, we had so much encouragement from people, like, we're so happy you're back. You know, we've all seen that people coming back into the ministry and, you know, God has not done with them yet, you know, and some right. of the, the experience and wisdom and talent and gifts or whatever God has given us through our time and our history in the ministry that he still wants to use it, you know, and that we all still believe in you. Like we right. want you to right. come back. We, we need your help. Like we need more ministers. The kingdom needs yeah, you. The, right. God needs us, you know, to keep, you know, to use our strengths to the very end. Yeah. I would say also to examine for yourself, what does bitterness look like and what does forgiveness look like? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing is if, cause bitterness is the thing that will take a lot of people out anyways. And if you hold on to things and I'm once again, I, I'm blessed to be married to the right woman. Um, there's a couple that hurt us pretty bad. And we went to Alan Gloria's or Gloria's memorial service and they were there. And, you know, I, I read a book could, called uh, Ron Hammer actually recommended how to forgive what you can't forget. Mm. (laughs) And so I I have a hard time and I have a justice component. There needs to be justice. Right. Right. You know? And so, um, so we were at the memorial and this couple was there and Bethany says, let's go say hi to them. I'm like, Nope, (laughs) you can go. Right. And she said, honey, she looked at me and she says, we need to go say hi. So I went over and said, hi, it was so good for me. Mm. I mean, cause it, it broke down a lot of those things, even though I'm wrestling with forgiving and I conscientiously are trying to forgive, but having that opportunity and fortunately having a wife that's going to push me beyond my comfort zone and learning how to forgive. And so it's not that I forget those things, but I really have come to a place of peace with those things a lot better. Um, not that it still doesn't affect me, right? You know? right. but identifying bitterness and 
and what what forgiveness spiritual forgiveness would really look like i know it's you guys are such a great example of people who have immense talent and ability and experience but came back online you guys you know work through whatever it was that was holding you back and then you guys got back online and now you're just advancing the kingdom just i mean to see 50 percent growth in a church that was split three ways i just go who's doing that and and yet like you said bethany what would how would the kingdom be different if everyone who was in a similar situation got out of the stands off the bench back onto the playing field back onto the court and and started doing what you guys are doing i mean just we would just have an explosion we'd have a revival i mean it'd just be so amazing because the talent's there yeah and now we got the money too because a lot of people have made money in in the secular world the money is out there and the talent but it's Satan who's really um, basically taken people off the playing field uh, totally. th- through this very thing. Yeah. But w- yeah. what's interesting about you guys is, okay, you guys work through your hurts, but you, your idealism, your passion's there too. How'd you get that? I mean, you, you're still idealistic about making disciples. I mean, you're not just like, okay, we, we patched up the relationship. Now we're good. Now we're just going to keep on going and, and raise, raise uh, Christmas trees in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know this. I mean, I think the ministry is somewhat, a big part of it is being called to it. And, uh, you know, if, if I see that I can make a difference there, why would I not do it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to me, I mean, that might sound really simple to some people, but to me, that's a big it's a big deal, you know, and I, when you see a need, you know, and having that heart to do that is, is to fill that need. I want to stay at that place. It's not always easy, but I fight to be there. Yeah. Go ahead. What do you think? Well, I think we really love studying the Bible with people, oh, you know, yeah. and I, I think that's kind of where we get filled up the most. And yeah. so when you see a life change, it doesn't take a lot of baptisms, I think, to keep your passion because you see one life change and, you know, it's really kind of what it's all about. So I think for us, we just try to take, you know, what God gives us to be able to pour into who we can train and who we can study with. And, but to me, I, I just feel like that always kind of comes back to yeah. our own conversions and remembering how God took us off this crazy path and stuck us on, you know, put us in the kingdom and gave us a future. Right. And so to me, I feel like that's where some of my passion comes from. I think that's the thing is that if Satan can sideline you, then he can allow bitterness to be your tackling fuel. And then you stop touching the future. Right. And you stop being part of the solution. And the solution mm-hmm. is helping people become Christians. Exactly. And helping people stay Christians. Right. So, you know. Yeah. It's it's really, you guys have such an impressive story. And, and I really appreciate what you've done. Let's just change the subject here a little bit. We'll change the channel. On your screensaver, and we've got a Zoom podcast, I see a dune buggy. <laughs> what's, the, what's the story behind that? My family raised, when I was probably six years old, my dad bought a dune buggy. And every, at least once a month and twice a month, we lived in Phoenix at the time, we would go to the dunes. And it was the thing that we did. And so we got quads. Well, we, back then it was three wheelers then quads and sand buggies. And so my family held that culture for a long time. I moved to Boston and my brothers got sand buggies and their kids got sand buggies. So we would meet at the dunes a lot. It was our family thing that we did. 
um, it's kind of painfully, they all just sold their rigs last year. So that <laughs> legacy is kind of gone, but it was a big part of our family. And so um, camping and the whole connectivity of that. So um, that's why it's kind of a, a legacy in our family. When you say the dunes, wh- wh- where are you talking about? Uh, the At the corner of uh, Arizona and uh, California and Mexico is Yuma and just about 20 miles west of there is imperial sand dunes and it's a place where grown men can play with their toys in the sand <laughs> and go really fast <laughs> okay you gotta tell me what what was the scariest accident you've ever had in a sand dune oh well i haven't been part of scary scary sand dunes but i've seen some couple people die out there because they got t-boned by a, a bike got t-boned by that the sand buggies, we roll them and you just throw them back over and you're riding off again. So, but if you collide with another vehicle and which is rare, but that, so I haven't been in any really bad, bad accidents. Although my brother flipped with my dad once and my brother was in the passenger seat and my brother was completely under the sand. My dad had to dig him out of the sand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was freaking out a little bit. So he was about 12 years old at the time. So, so you've seen a couple people die out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. I remember door knocking when I was selling real estate in the early 2000s and I, this lady opened the door and she was in a full body, um, like cast, you know, her wow. neck was, and I said, what happened? She said, I, I came up over a sand dune um, and, you know, broke my neck basically. Wow. So I don't share those things with my wife, you know, because yeah. I, I yeah. like motorcycles. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And another thing, I, you know, it's, it's weird. Kip, because I've been talking to all these wrestlers, um, yeah. A.T. Arneson, um, and different people that come from a wrestling background. You wrestled. Can you tell me a little bit about, about that and what that taught you? Well, to be able to grind, and wrestling is that endurance sport, you know, and those you just have to push through it, you know, the whole suck it up buttercup type of thing. So <laughs> I think that was a big part of character building for me. You know, it, it's kind of wild. You know, when I studied the Bible, the person studying with me thought that that was an idol in my life. So he told me to, com- he asked me to completely give up wrestling. Mm. And I was, it was hard. I, before I got baptized, I decided that I'm going to give it up, mm. you know? And so I didn't pursue wrestling or anything. And then I moved to Boston in 85 and an opportunity afforded itself for me to become the head wrestling coach at this college I was at. So God gave it back to me. And wow. so I was able to be there and, uh, be be part of a, a sport that I loved. And I converted several people from the wrestling team, which was really kind of cool. So God gave it back to me in spades and he also bore fruit from it. So you were a college wrestler. Right. I, and I know Mike, Mike Rock was a wrestler, ATR, and there's some other people that, I, that are escaping me at this point. Um, what was your weight class? <laughs> in high school uh i wrestled 155 i cut down from 185 to 155 and in college i cut down from 205 to 167 oh my so God. how and tell me how that's like 40 pounds <laughs> yeah um i put myself on really strict diets fish and liver with vegetables um and so a lot of discipline quite frankly and i think probably uh you know, just fortitude, you know, and you know that you, well, back then everyone believed that your leanest that you are, the better your body will perform. But 
also you lose muscle mass and other things. Right. That was, it was, it was tough, but I think once again, I think it was something that really helped me in my character. Mm. Now, Bethany, was that something that attracted you to, to Kip? He's like super hunk. Kip's muscles. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Besides the serving attitude and everything. He was very good looking. Yeah. He is very good looking. Yeah, that did attract me. <laughs> I feel so, I feel so objectified. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So you guys, let's, let's switch the scene to Hawaii. You guys face some highs and some lows there in Hawaii. Can you talk about that? Oh, the highs were being with Brock and Ann Roby and seeing God do crazy miracles. I mean, with 21 disciples, we saw 45 people baptized in the first six months of the church planting. That's amazing. And I remember weird numbers too. I don't know why, but at the end of one year, we had 114 members and the highs were being able to work with Brock and Ann Roby. They just were our friends and they treated us with, we, they weren't our boss. They, I never felt that they were our boss. And so that was, you know, the high and, and, you know, the lows, when we had our, our challenges initially, I think we spoke a little bit about a couple that were really grinding us. They'd come into town and grind us a little bit. And that was really challenging. But our relationship with the Robies really stood. The, it was tough to leave Hawaii. It was tough to leave them. And, uh, you know, it was a big transition. So I think um, those are some of them. I don't know if you want to share on that, too. I look back at Hawaii as just such a beautiful time, such an mm. amazing faith building time. I mean, so many people became Christians and they would, you know, we met this one girl. She actually hit me with her bike when we were walking across campus and she wound up becoming a Christian and she converted 10% of her like private high school Yeah. Um, later in the next two years. Like all these girls became Christians and just to see the vines of people that became Christians through the family spirit of Hawaii was amazing. And, uh, yeah, I always look back at that time with just such gratitude, you know, the, you know, the, the, the struggles we were going through were, were hard for sure, but it didn't have anything to do with Hawaii or the islands or our love for what we were doing there. It was just, I think us having to figure out our own personal motivation, like we're going to serve God. We're going to love God, even if, you know, we aren't feeling believed in, or we aren't feeling, you know, patted on the back, you know, we still had to just keep focusing on God and what God wanted us to do there. Now you guys are as just about as white as white comes (laughs) going to Hawaii. Was that, was that, was that a challenge there? I mean, you're, you're going to a place where, uh, you're in the minority. What, what, what challenges did you face there? Well, we probably felt it more, Initially, when we went to Hawaii, we led the campus ministry, which I don't, it, it's more colorblind than the rest of Hawaii anyways. I think that when we went to Hilo, Hawaii, that was a bigger challenge because yeah. us being white, you know, we, you know, we're sharing our faith with lots of people and we'll have like five or six people committed to coming to Sunday and none of them will show up. Mm-hmm. And I will talk to some of the people local. Like, well, you ain't from here. You know, you're not from here. And so people don't trust you, but they'll say this, they'll say yes, just to get you out. Of their face. I see. And so, <laughs> I mean, even with a small church planning in Hilo, we would have like 50, 60 commitments for church on Sunday. And we'd have five come from that, that number of commitments, people who said they'll come to church that Sunday. Hmm. And so there, there was definitely a cultural divide that we were faced with when we went there. And so that's why I've always been a proponent for 
get the the locals in there leading these churches because they really have an opportunity to make a great difference there. Right, right. I'm, well, I'm really happy that Brad Tomashiro is yeah. there along with Thank Gary Thank you Robeson. for him. I know. <laughs> it's really exciting because Brad's as, as local as they get. He and Alicia, his, his wife, yeah. And I'm just praying that that work just can, you know, really grows and takes yeah. off because he's he's a he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, but that that's that's really impressive there. That work. When you look back, I mean, there's so many great memories I have from pre 2003. I mean, it's just such an inspiring time. And at the same time, there were some challenges for sure yes. that that we're aware of. But what do you feel like? if you could bring anything back from that time period and put it back in, what, what do you feel like you'd like to see a little more of these days in the positive sense? From the church, from people in the church, the culture. Is that kind of the question? Okay. Uh, To me, it just gets back to this all in. If we could get everyone all in, I, can you imagine what we could do if we were all in? Right. And I think there are times when we went to Hawaii with 21 disciples, everyone was all in. Right. And uh, what a amazing thing. God can work with all in people in an amazing way. And I think that because of some of the history of our church, a lot of people have lost that all in. And people have gotten side, side railed with the what's in it for me. And if we can get our church to all in, I mean... That would be amazing. Right. <laughs> kind of my thought. Yeah. And I think to get back to believing that our one invitation or our one, you know, time that we push ourselves in courage really makes a difference. Mm. You know, that those, we just had such a uh, expectation in those days of, oh, you're at the store. Maybe that person could, would become a Christian if I right. invited them. Right. Like more of that just faithful expectation of God. And um, I think the, I'm not sure what that word is, but the, the stronger character of just pushing hard and um, not in a sinful way, but just uh, um, the word am I looking for? Well, um, I would use the word grind at mm-hmm. times. Not mm-hmm. grind, not well, in a negative I, way, but like a perseverance, maybe like a deeper perseverance. Hmm. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. And I think that that's, you know, I think about that. I think, okay, what if everyone were all in? Yeah. And 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 it's un- it's unfortunate because I think many times people feel like because they've had some bad experiences, they've yeah. got a pass for not being all in. That somehow that gives them the the ticket off of the cross bearing ride. You know, it's like don't have yeah. to carry my cross any longer because I've been hurt. One thing I've been studying a lot recently is Jesus's suffering, and you know, just thinking about Isaiah chapter fifty three where it says. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that. I've had some hits recently with my mom passing away and different things like that. And just like, man, how would, how would I like it if my dad, his will for my life were, Hey son, I'm going to crush you. I'm going to cause you to suffer. Mm -hmm. And that wouldn't be very encouraging. And yet that's what makes Jesus so great. And yeah. I've, I've just had to kind of come to the, the way I, I've kind of worked through it mentally is like, hey, I'm I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm a son of God, too. And guess what? Yeah, you're going to yeah. suffer, Rob. Yeah. And yeah. if I don't accept that, I'm going to be a very unhappy person mm-hmm. and I'll, the, the, I'm going to be rejected. There's going to be times where, you know, people don't accept my message. And 
um, whether they're family members or whether they're people that I meet. I just go, okay, this is what it means to know Christ and to share in his suffering. And I think that's, you know, just been thinking a lot about what Paul wrote there when he said, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection and sharing in his suffering. Yeah. And so, you know, I think when I think about your lives, I think about people who are children of God and who have endured that suffering. And yet that's how you know Christ. I'm sure that your, your challenges have opened up insights into your relationship with God. You probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I think reminded even um, a book Gordon wrote years and years ago, the victory of surrender. And uh, that is, I think, isn't that the constant calling of every disciple is to get to that place. That's the victory to, to get to a place. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the tricky part is when we look back to the past, we go, Oh, there was suffering. Mm. There are bad things that happened. And yet I go, okay, just because we suffered doesn't necessarily mean it was bad. I mean, that's, there's always a positive side to everything that we go through. So just a little side note there, really interesting talking to you guys. Let me ask you this final question. What advice would you give to a person who really wants to make their life count? Um, I, I, there's a couple things I would think of. Um, one is be willing to say yes. Hmm. I mean, having the, a willing heart is, is a pretty amazing thing. And, and maybe say yes to something that would be very uncomfortable for you. And I think that would be advice but as we talked about earlier, I think making sure you have support people around you that you can lean into when times get rough and can you know, pity the man who has no one to help him up. And I think that we've been so blessed with the right kind of people in our life, even sometimes at the right time. And sometimes it was just a window of relationship for a year or two, but that window got us through a very tough time. Mm. And so making sure you have a network of people, but also really examining, you know, how can God most use me and be willing to get to that place of surrender with that? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think that's good. And um, I think being willing to take risks, you know, life is short, right? Right. So we only have so many Hmm. years to take risks and um, take opportunities that come to us and, um, you know, make the most of them because we never know what will come out of that one opportunity, how it can lead you to another place, to another place. And so right. I think when we have that heart of wanting our life to count, God will bring opportunity to us, you know, through our prayers and through people and through situations and being willing to jump in and take risks. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know all the Greek in the Bible. You don't have to be a teacher right. you can be who you are right. and God can use you with your talents and your interests and your gifts in so many ways, like right. beyond our imagination, if we let him, right. you know, and sometimes it's that fear. I know for me, fear is if I didn't have Kip, Kip is like the courage of our relationship. <laughs> if I didn't have Kip, I would, I'd never move. I'd never do anything differently. Like I would, I'm very routine oriented and Kip pushes me out of my comfort zone uh, through having courage. And so I've learned a lot through our marriage of mm. taking risks and stepping out and right. not feeling like you have to have all the answers right. when you do that. That's awesome. Yeah. So saying yes, having people around you, being willing to take risks. That's awesome. I, you know, it's funny you say that because that's that was Pam and I. When we were young in our marriage, we just said, we're not going to say no. 
if right. whatever asked, we're going to just do it. And I'm so glad because <laughs> that led us to go to Japan for 10 years. Wow. Other, a couple other people had been asked. They said no. And so we were like third on the list. And <laughs> and guess what? We, we said yes. And, and that just was awesome. I mean, I'm yeah. so glad that we made that decision wow. to say yes and take the risk. I, I think it's so smart. And having those people in your life. Um, there's just one other thing I was, I just, they, they came to me. When you think about all the places that you planted and led, how does that make you feel? All the people whose lives you've changed. Humbled. Humbled. Think humbled to have been part of and that. Yeah. It helps me not live with regret. Even like there are times we moved to places that we didn't really know and maybe we didn't make the best decision, but we saw lives changed. Mm-hmm. And you look back and you go, it was all worth it. Yeah. You know, at the end, I think looking back, I, all the moves that we made and I, it was all worth it. Yeah. And even if I don't think it was worth it, it still was worth it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that, that hasn't changed. Yeah. Yeah. I think even being reminded like, when you go to a conference and just oh, heels, we almost gosh. didn't even go to the conference. We're thankful oh. hammers pushed us to go, but um, being at the conference and just seeing people from different parts of your life, different chapters of your book, you know, that it's part of your life. It's amazing to see, you know, the friendships God adds to your life and the stories of people's conversions that get added to mm. your story. And so it's, it's really quite an adventure, I think. And, um, having been in so many places, it's, it, it's a fun story to look back on in spite of, you know, some of the hardships of me not wanting to move and the challenges, but uh, I've really appreciated, you know, it's kind of like a giant quilt and God keeps adding different squares to your quilt of That's places right. and people and things you learn. Yeah, we had no idea what to expect with the conference and we were kind of going through a tough time and some challenges out here and we weren't going to go. And then the hammer said, you guys got to go and we're paying for you to go. I mean, that's friends right there. Right. And so, but we go there and our schedule, we fill up every <laughs> lunch and dinner with people from 35 years ago and right. all these relationships and all these people whose lives we've impacted and who have also impacted our life. It was just, it was a family reunion. And so I look back, I'm glad that Bethany brought that up because we we were just like, it's amazing to see the lives that we've been able to impact through all the places that we've been, right. every place that we've been to. Right. And so it's pretty, that's pretty exciting actually. Yeah. About it. it is so exciting. And you guys have had such an amazing career. It reminds me of what Ed Townsend told me one time. He said, you know, in the ministry, you're not wealthy in terms of money, but in relationships. Yeah. And it's really true. When you go to those conferences, you go, man, I'm just yeah. a very wealthy man. Yeah, and uh, it's, totally. it's a real blessing. So, Kip and Bethany, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all the work on behalf of the kingdom and what you're doing in San Luis Obispo now. If someone were wanting to reach you or move to San Luis Obispo or support you, how would they get a hold of you? Our church website is the 101 Christian Church. So, And our information is on that yeah. website. The 101, like the number 101? or 101 yeah. christianchurch.com. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. We would love to have people move here. There you go. Yeah. We could use some help. That well, hopefully awesome. people, I'm mean, not a bad place to move to. Absolutely. Yes. That's great. Yeah. I guess that's the signal we need to finish our interview. Okay. But thank you so much for, again, for the time and all the best you guys going forward. 
Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. It's been an honor. Love you. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.